You are listening to the Antler VC Cast. We are your hosts. I am Yusti Salavara and I'm the co-founder and managing partner of Antler. I am Pooja Barwani, the marketing director of Antler. In this series, we feature stories of exceptional people who are playing a key role in building and shaping the next wave of tech and the way it is integrated into all we do. We take a look at the transformation that is taking place in an increasingly global and digital world. We will talk about innovation, building and scaling startups, mistakes they made, pivots they navigated through, and lots more. We want to know their story, how they did it, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame it. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Antler VC cast. This is our first remote taping for our podcast. We are living in extraordinary times and this is officially day two of what Singapore calls the Circuit Breaker Month. De facto quarantine. It's not called a lockdown, but a circuit breaker to flatten the curve and stop the spread of COVID-19. Today we have with us Nick Nash and Oliver Ripple, the founding partners of Asia Partners. Asia Partners is a growth equity firm focusing on investments in technology and tech-enabled companies in Southeast Asia. In this episode, we will talk about the steps businesses can take to navigate through these uncertain times and why this is still a good time for investors and entrepreneurs in this region. Welcome to the show, guys. So day two of Circuit Breaker, um, how... How has it been so far? What is your new normal like? Well, today began with, uh, we were joking earlier, the most ambitious thing I've ever seen this month, which is a Zoom call with 12 three-year-olds dialing in for preschool. (laughs) (laughs) Future is here. (laughs) It involved a lot of jumping on the bed, let me tell you. (laughs) My my wife has an almost equally uh, challenging thing, which is, She's supposed to teach teenagers on Zoom, and then at the same time, so supposed to keep the, our kids away from you know harassing her. So um, you know, they don't want to do that. They want to chip in, and uh, of course, my wife's students then get to enjoy our eight-year-old and ten-year-old during class. So what's not to like? <laughs> Cool. Why don't we uh, get started with uh, making sure the audience knows, uh, you know, who guys, who you guys are. I mean, um, everyone should know Asia Partners and Nick and Oliver by now, but just on the off chance there's someone who doesn't. So why don't we do quick introductions and, and tell a bit the origin story of uh, Asia Partners. Uh, Nick, why don't you go first and then Oliver after that. Sure. Uh, in either way. Uh, well, thank you again, UC, for having us on the show. Thank you, Pooja. Uh, for all of our friends in the entrepreneurial community and uh, the broader uh, ecosystem here in Southeast Asia, Oliver and I just want to convey, you know, our, our 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 hopes and wishes that you and your families, your loved ones, are all fine uh, and safe. Uh, that your colleagues and your employees and uh, everyone that matters to you is hopefully getting through this crisis uh, in the best way possible. It's times like this that think just remind us what's really important uh, for all of us in life, which is health and family. Uh, and happiness. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that all of you are doing okay. Uh, founding all, uh, founding Asia Partners was a, a dream come true for, for Oliver and myself. The firm was officially launched uh, at the beginning of 2019. Each of us had had uh, a, a wonderful journey uh, up to the founding date. I won't steal any of Oliver's thunder, but on my end, I had spent 10 years at a great firm called General Atlantic, first in the US and then in Singapore, uh, had invested in the company that's now called C. 
joined the company as its group president uh, and was part of a, a really extraordinary four-year period of business building and growth, both geographically and in terms of service lines, uh, led our IPO process, uh, and having uh, you know left the balance sheet in a, in a safe place, in a good place, uh, I asked my colleagues for their permission if I'd be able to retire, and along with Oliver and a few other friends, uh, bring together into this world a new organization whose only mission it was uh, was to really develop and grow the next generation of, we hope, multi-billion-dollar companies here in Southeast Asia. I'll just maybe stop there for now and maybe hand the mic back to Oliver. Yeah, and uh, this is Oliver. So, um, a pleasure meeting all of you. Um, so, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm originally from Germany. Um, you know, German dad, Korean mom. Uh, same as Nick, uh, I worked my whole life in uh, in technology, uh, about a decade with eBay uh, across Germany, China. Korea and Southeast Asia, and then a decade um, with a special company called Naspers, which is a big, you know, South African headquartered uh, investor operator of, um, of of mainly emerging market, uh, you know, internet platforms. Um, and for Naspers, I ran various regions um, as the um, internet CEO. Um, and for the past couple of years, um, I was the um, the global CEO for a segment we called B two C e-commerce. Uh, and that's um, also how I met Nick, um, because um, um, uh, Nick's responsibilities uh, you know, at sea um, was uh, very close to, to my own personal uh, uh, responsibility because um, uh, you know, C's, uh, one of C's last shareholders uh, was also a company that, uh, that we were very close to uh, as an investor, uh, which is Tencent. Uh, and through that, you know, connectivity um, uh, Nick and I got close on the business side. Um, out of that, um, uh, a friendship grew. Um, you know, families are quite close. Um, and you know, from that perspective, the the, the desire, the desire to 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 now start Asia Partners um, and to do uh, what we have done. Um, you know, for very um, respectable um, investors before, uh, now in our own capacity with a wonderful group of friends. Was a was a was a very deep uh, intrinsic motivation for us. Um, so I'm very very glad that uh, that we started the firm. Um, and um, yeah, we we just passed our you know first year anniversary uh, in February. So um, so we're still um, uh, you know kind of like in that in that toddler stage that that Nick described. That, <laughs> that is fun of it. Uh, trying to get onto the call and ambitious. So. Uh, so what was the founding thesis for Asia Partners? I think, uh, in a puja, in, in, a, in a nutshell, uh, you could summarize it in one sentence. Uh, it's Southeast Asia's moment. I mean, I feel like that right now, today, with the crisis that's unfolding on a global basis. But if we take just a slightly wider view and a longer view, uh, and hopefully this too shall pass, uh, as, as so many crises do, uh, these these next ten years uh, are 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 going to be, and frankly, already are, a bit of a golden age for Southeast Asia. There's so many ways you could think about that, and they all triangulate to the same place. Part of that is affluence. We've noticed in other emerging markets, especially China, and before that Korea, and even before that Japan, years ago, that when economies get to roughly thirty five hundred dollars to seven thousand dollars of affluence per person per year, uh, magical things happen. Uh, discretionary spending starts to really rise in a non-linear way and really great platform companies get built. They certainly got built from 03 to 13 in China, a previous generation in Korea, and, and of course, Japan. We're right smack dab in the middle of that right now. And that's, I think, very, very, very foundational for 
the rise of C and Grab and Gojek and so many other great platform companies. That, that's one lens. The other lens is more bottoms up, which is if we look at just the last five, six, seven years, uh, the alumni of C and Gojek and Grab and Rocket and Lazada and a bunch of others, you add those all up, about 28,000 alums have gotten that sort of vital on-the-job training, that kind of, you know, that, that burst of entrepreneurship. And what we find so encouraging is that 1,100 of those 28,000 have now become founders or co-founders of startups that are here in Southeast Asia. And that bottoms up sort of formation of entrepreneurial endeavors and energy is powerful. It's almost like we have a dozen PayPal mafias acting here in Southeast Asia. And the thing that struck Oliver and me, and I'll just tee up the thought and maybe hand it back to Oliver, is those companies were getting great capital from the CD ecosystem, organizations like Antler and a handful of others. They were starting to get great capital from the Series A ecosystem. And actually a very good number were starting to get Series B checks. But when it came time for the Series C, uh, it was it was crickets. It was empty. Mm. Uh, and companies were struggling to get through that very vital phase. And ironically, on the back end, if you wanted to go public like C did, if you wanted to raise a $500 million check like Grab and others have done many times in a row, that wasn't hard. But it was almost like there was a stretch of the ECP that was missing between here and Changi. And uh, we felt that we had to get the asphalt trucks out and start laying that road. But maybe let me, let me, let me pause and hand it back to Oliver because yeah. from his perspective at Nospers, you know, he was seeing very similar trends. Yeah, and um, you know the world that that Nick and I come from, which is sort of like the the larger PE uh, as well as the strategic world, um, they tend to often write um, you know larger checks uh, for them to to become sort of like the lead investor uh, in a Series C um, is a bit uh, is a bit of their own thesis. Um, so so you have that 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 interesting you know gap in the market uh, that Nick described, where um, we felt. Um, uh, you know, we can be useful uh, to the ecosystem, uh, given also uh, you know, some of the experience that we have had uh, in terms of seeing firsthand scaling of companies, like at that very pivotal moment when they go from maybe several hundred people to several thousand people in the organization or from you know, three markets to six markets uh, or from one business model to maybe a couple you know, up and down the, the platform stack. Uh, and that's um, that, that's you know a a, a desire that, that that we both have is to be is to be useful and to play our part to uh, you know uh, to 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 help this company scale. Yeah, uh, we've definitely seen that whole uh, you know ma- mafia thinking and and you know alumni of uh, the the first wave of success uh, you know begin their own journeys. Uh, for example, Gojek has been a great source of talent uh, we've had i think the three of the first 50 employees um and gojek have become uh Antler founders uh after you know directly from from gojek so super um bullish about that um what about sort of uh sector focus I, I kind of noticed that as far as you know i've been able to tell you've made two investments at least that are in the public eye right now red doors and um and snap ask uh I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it, Snap Ask. Anyway, so, you know, Red Doors being a uh, marketplace for budget hotels and then uh, Snap Ask more of a online uh, tutoring, on-demand tutoring uh, place. So, you know, quite different uh, directions. But how do you look at different sectors uh, in the region? 
Yeah, maybe I can start with uh, giving the description. So on a, on a highest level, uh, we look at uh, tech and tech-enabled businesses. Um, and by design, uh, you know, we are relatively agnostic, you know, in which industries, um, you know, these, uh, these companies operate. Um, we follow closely what has happened in other regions around the world, you know, regions that um, are maybe a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, in terms of you know just affluence in general and the emergence of tech ecosystems, so China comes to mind, uh, and we look at um, you know what has worked worked well there, you know which local and regional uh, you know tech companies often with strong network effects um, uh, and high switching costs have have emerged, um, and how um, does this sort of like pair up with what we're seeing on the ground um, in, in Southeast Asia? So they tend to be. Um, uh, you know, a lot of consumer tech companies uh, in that um, in that sort of like you know sector sector umbrella. Um, you know, some enterprise companies, um, and most importantly for us, a, a lot of emerging pan regional businesses, which is a very important criteria for us uh, on a business path to scale. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe I think uh, it's a good moment here to swing to the hot topic on everyone's minds which is which is of course like investing in a time like this with a global pandemic and so forth and you know just outside in um would seem to me like uh your portfolio companies might be pretty much polar opposite in terms of how they how the situation impacts them um so i, I mean how do you look at um, investing at a time like this? Are you looking to deploy? Are you, uh, you know, are you put, uh, you know, breaks on things, or, 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 you know, what's what's your philosophy right now? No, happy to, to jump in, uh, UC, and uh, you know, very, very pleasantly, both of our first two investments are, I think, going through this in a in a quite thoughtful way. Uh, the first and foremost observation is that they're they're just great businesses with great leaders. Uh, Amit at Red Doors is uh, a person that worked his way up through the ranks of the hotel industry. He literally used to work the front desk in a hotel and uh, wow. is now running what we think of as the best, uh, you know, really online-centered budget hotel brand for Southeast Asia. And uh, we were just looking at the data this morning comparing occupancy for Red Doors versus industry occupancy city by city. They're doing really well uh, in a tough time for the industry globally. Uh, and uh, we have no doubt that they're going to come through uh, the storm, as everyone is, just even stronger than ever and uh, you know, even more loyal to their customers and vice versa. So actually, if anything, while we wouldn't have wished this from a humanitarian perspective on anyone, uh, this will probably see a long-term strategic advantage uh, for Red Doors coming out of this vis-a-vis its competition. On the other side, you know, Snap Ask, yeah, and it's interesting to see how crises can be, can be used for the positive. Uh, on, on the other side, Snap Ask is seeing wonderful, wonderful tailwinds from the shift to online education. Uh, once once parents begin to realize that a 13, 14 person Zoom call with three-year-olds probably isn't going to get them into Oxford. <laughs> I think they're going to realize that maybe a little bit of one-on-one tutoring might be the better solution. Yeah. You know, of course, in SnapAs case, the demographic is more high school students and, and young, young adults, uh, college and adults. But, uh, you know, that business is just seeing tremendous, tremendous momentum from what is a shift. And it's a little bit of, you know, what somebody once said, which is the thing about a crisis is it can make two decades happen in two weeks. You know, consumer behavior changes. There's so many examples of that. Uh, uh, the tragedy of the tsunami in Fukushima 
was instrumental in Lions takeoff in Japan and mm. that shift away from NTT Docomo. Uh, the SARS crisis, as tragic as that was in China, was instrumental for the pickup of uh, Alibaba's Taobao business and e-commerce on the consumer side. Uh, I think likewise, this current crisis will be one of the final bits of a nudge away from a cash economy in many, many jurisdictions towards uh, digital payments and likewise with online education. So that sort of bringing it all together, summarizing, what we think that the current opportunity does is two very straightforward things. One, it accelerates the inevitable. I don't think it changes the world upside down, but things that would have naturally happened are going to happen a lot faster, whether it's more lab testing, better healthcare, online education, better delivery infrastructure, e-commerce, food delivery, whatever, whatever. All that will happen faster. And the second thing that will happen is I think the very best companies, the companies that are likely going to be the long-term winners, they'll actually capitalize in the current times and most importantly, absorb some of the best people they can. Maybe people from traditional industries that see this as the moment they want to jump and shift, maybe from other startups, who knows. And uh, likewise, I think their market share gains coming out of this will be quite pronounced. And you look at Amazon that went through 0102, you look at Google that went through 0708, uh, you know, great companies come through these things. And uh, as we say, they get caramelized. <laughs> it's the trial <laughs> by fire. They get, they get a bit, uh, they get through the very oven and uh, they come out better. Would you guys actively recommend uh, the startups to look for like uh, changes in their business model or new verticals or like really hunt for that um, opportunity or, I mean, the, Maybe tough to answer on a generic level, but like, how much should it be like opportunistic thinking versus you know survival and semi-hibernation? I mean, this also you know changes by stage, but maybe more difficult at, at the growth stage. But um, you know, just in terms of generic advice to give founders out there. Yeah, I mean, the problem, of course, you see with generic advice is it's just that it's generic advice. But uh, what we've been doing in, in smaller audiences, and in particular, we've been sharing this with the Endeavor org network uh, around the world are you know some very simple practical steps to take if you have six months of cash runway if you have 12 months of cash runway and if you have 24 months or more and and clearly you know if you have 24 months or more of cash runway or frankly already profitable you're in such a wonderful position to start thinking about how do you adapt your product your your your, your system your price everything to the new realities that may come out of the recession uh, if you have six months of cash running to Oliver's point your only priority right now is organizational mm -hmm. survival and that's going to be a combination of filling up uh, the bank accounts as best you can with capital and uh, optimizing you know how you're spending that capital in the most productive way possible but but again you know the spirit of you know in a in generic advice being rather generic the one thing we would advise companies to realize is that you know what what matters the most over the long term and a recession simply just you know probably makes it a bit more clear and a bit more obvious is are you doing something that's really useful to your customers if you're in a b2b sale how are you making your clients more productive if you're a b2c sale how are you making your clients more happy their lives more convenient their lives more fulfilling uh if you're doing those things you, you'll do fine over the long haul and in the short haul we actually did an interesting analysis inside of asia partners to look at just the most recent recession, which is obviously a bit of a painful one, the 2008 and nine global financial crisis. And just to sort of contextualize it, there were about six and a half thousand public companies around the world, the very beginning, beginning of 2008, that had a billion dollar market cap. And out of those six and a half thousand, uh, about one out of 10 
actually created shareholder value through the 18 months of the crisis. That's interesting. In fact, a large number of them had IRRs in public companies, you can measure this, that were well north of 30% in dollar terms to the crisis. And when you go down that list, it's not just tech. I mean, you see battery companies, you see phosphate fertilizers, healthcare distributors, there's a motorcycle company. Sure, there's video games and sure there's some e-commerce companies. But I think what you see consistently is just great CEOs and teams doing really wonderful things for their customers and, uh, and being appreciated for that by, by their customer base and by the public markets. Nice. I think we teased out some valuable generic advice. Yeah. That's good. Um, so just in terms of the timing, I, I think I just wanted to get your put your uh, forecasting hats on. So, you know, how, how long will the worst phase of this last? What's the what's the Nick and Oliver yeah. uh, official forecast? So, so um, that's that's obviously the ultimate question that no one that everyone has an opinion on, but no one can answer with any any degree of certainty. Uh, and um, you know your advice is as good as mine, or as good as the. the if if it was very clear what it is, then it would be another would not be a very interesting question. So, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I think I think what the, the stance that we um, that we that we take is more one where uh, you know prepare for the worst, and that goes back to the, the question of you know cost containment and cash runway, uh, and it uh, you know will mean very different things. To companies that 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 will run out of cash in the next couple of months, uh, versus companies that 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 have sort of like already the maturity of business model and and, and sort of like deeper pockets. Um, uh, but uh, but but either way, be prepared for this to to last for um, for 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 quite a while and um, and and adopt that you know from a from a budgeting perspective, almost like um, taking a view of using just cross burn. So, so basically just your own cost structure as the only sort of like, um, uh, business case scenario that matters, uh, at least for the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, and anything that you take um, uh, in on the top, you know, through revenue, gross margin, that, that would be sort of like icing on the cake, extending that runway uh, further. So, so, so be prepared for that. But then, you know, be very close to the market. Uh, be very close to your customers. Um, you know your suppliers, your um, your, your end customers. Um, if you are a B2B company, um, and to um, and to make sure that um, whenever you see signs of, of recovery happening, uh, that that you can take advantage of that. Um, and um, and you know we are all studying what's happening in China uh, to a certain degree. What's we also studying Korea, given that this, the worst seems to be over there as well in terms of number of new infections. Um, uh, so these are all um, you know, useful uh, indicators. Uh, it's early, uh, but if I were a betting man, I would think this will last still for uh, for at least a couple of quarters, um, and then recovery will not sort of like just happen overnight. Uh, it will take um, uh, it will take uh, also some time for uh, for us to go back to 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 the original sort of like levels that, um, that, that we've seen before. Um, and, you know, to, to, to Nick's point earlier, um, that new normal may be very different to, um, to, uh, to, to, the, old, to the old normal. Um, and that may be benefiting certain industry and that may be um, sort of like disadvantage uh, of certain other industries. So, so, so I think um, uh, my last point, and then we'll, uh, you know, pause. Um, uh, uh, you see, going back to also um, the point, um, I think you have to also take a view on whether you know your business model is still sound, you know, over the long 
run and whether that in general, um, you know, requires uh, a certain adaptation. Uh, but it shouldn't be like just opportunity driven by certain uh, uh, spikes or, or, or troughs that you see during the price. It should be more driven by, you know, are you uh, over the long run, you know, providing great, a great value proposition for, to your customers and to the market. That's great advice for businesses. But I want to ask you guys as investors, as the whole world is pausing, are you, there's still investments going on. You hear about funding rounds. Airbnb just raised a billion, uh, even though they're making a loss. How are you investing? Are you also pausing? And, you know, what's your, what's your take? And, and has, it, uh, has it really changed uh, this past month? Yeah, no, I mean, quite the opposite, Pooja. We are, we are open for business. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it's an anecdotal sort of fact. And uh, I won't comment on fundraising on our end. We can't for regulatory reasons. But uh, we have doubled the frequency of our ICs from one week to two weeks. We've made them longer because we were running out of time. Uh, the number of very interesting uh, opportunities to help entrepreneurs is great. I would say it's probably it's first and foremost great because over the last, five years, there have been 452 uh, Series A and Series B deals done in our ecosystem. So as, as those cohorts just mature and those, 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 those vines, grapes on the vine ripen, that's great for us. And uh, it's maybe only secondarily, you know, maybe more dynamic, more interesting now just because of what's happening in the crisis. Um, but no, we, we would love to be supportive of entrepreneurs, you know, through the thick of this and, uh, you know, helpfully, you know, have the resources and the, 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 the intent uh, and desire to be to be very helpful. And, and again, it goes back to that, that timeless wisdom Oliver shared. Uh, a crisis is an opportunity for the best companies to get bigger and to bring on great people and to strengthen themselves and to actually, you know, kind of push themselves a bit. It's kind of like a challenge level in a video game. It's kind of like, you know, they're really going to be up upskilling themselves. And we love it when entrepreneurs, you know, relish that challenge and think of this kind of, you know, this is the this is the Iron Man of business. You know, you're really going to go through this and come out better on the back end. Survival of the most resilient. Yeah, but also I would say resilience comes from a mindset of, of creativity, of humility, of, of, of deep dedication to your customers and your people. So, you know, I think actually what we're going to see really differentiating the best entrepreneurs here is, is their approach to running the business, uh, okay. even more so, frankly, than how much money they've raised. What is, and, but uh, to be, just to build on that, like when you look at the future and you assess, you know, investment opportunities, do you see the world moving to a completely new normal where, you know, we permanently have structures that will defend the world from pandemics or, or is it just one and done? This was, this was the COVID-19 exceptional time and that's it. Or how, how, like how much do you think uh, structures uh, will uh, permanently change in the market? You, you see, we still don't have a cure for the common cold. <laughs> Sorry, Oliver, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, I mean, this, uh, look, this uh, is hard. Everyone has a, has a view on this. Um, I, think, I think it's too early to tell. Um, from my perspective, I think it will depend on like, how long will this crisis really last, how much of an impact, you know, will, will the crisis be the new normal for now, right? Or will the crisis just be sort of like... Um, uh, you know, a crisis and you kind of switch from an old normal to maybe a, 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 a sort of like a, a slightly different but still old normal uh, uh, afterwards, right? So, so I think, uh, I think the, the, the longer the crisis will last, the more it will be likely that, um, that, that certain kind of like structures and, you know, societal norms will, um, you know, will have changed. Um, if it is sort of like, but if you look at also 
past crises, past recessions. Um, unfortunately, um, we were always very good to get back to our own selves, uh, for better or worse, you know, quite quickly uh, after after sort of like that moment of reflection. So, so I wouldn't I wouldn't um, bet the farm of a, a whole new world to be created post crisis. But I do think going back to what we discussed earlier, that that certain things will be um, will, will be accelerated. Um, uh, whether it's you know around um, you know uh, a higher adoption of video conferencing and and, and remote work uh, and learning opportunities, whether it's the typical um, uh, you know remote delivery of um, of groceries, food, um, or even general merchandise in the wider e-commerce sense, um, whether it's the uh, adoption of you know telehealth. Uh, and, uh, and 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 sort of like these these remote interactions. Why do I have to go and physically visit a doctor every time uh, I need a new prescription of that that um, that, that medication that I uh, I was getting for the for the past few years? Uh, so so there are certain um, maybe in the beginning at the margins like use cases where I think it, the, the the advantage of of, of you know um, um, digitization and and, and, and remote you know, deliveries, as an example, will be just so obvious that it would just not make any sense in the world to go back to the old ways of thinking. Um, and beyond that, I think it depends a bit on, on how, much we, how much we collectively suffered uh, through, uh, through, the, through the current times. Right. So structural inefficiencies we will get away from uh, because we realize it's uh, you know, better to do without those inefficiencies. Um, but maybe not a whole new world. I, I think, um, no, sorry, ahead, just going to say that, that, that human beings are essentially you know, social creatures. And I think, uh, you know, I think there's going to be like a post pandemic uh, resurgence of social meetings or whatever we can do that we've missed out on this past month, as well as travel. I think that's going to, I mean, I thought, to myself, yeah, like, you know, I, I'm going to think twice and, and, and obviously clean everything I, I get on, but I, I think, them, <laughs> but, but you know, there was a resurgence after SARS of, of travel. I mean, do, do you do you guys foresee that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's called latent demand, and it's not just residential. You know, sort of consumers wanting to go on vacation. Think about every cell phone tower technician that hasn't tuned up those towers in three months because they've been sitting at home. The, the backlog is going to be massive, and that's why you see GDP growth rates very, very high in the six to 12 months after a recession, because all that backlog work comes back. But I, I want to bring it back to UC's question, which is what, what changes when something dramatic like this happens, the shock of the system? Let me, let me give you two examples just to kind of get the conversation flowing a bit, which is pop quiz for Pooja and, and UC. When the air conditioner was invented, who made the most money? Was People it the, the, spare the, parts the, suppliers? the cleaners, the maintainers? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, look, everybody obviously had, had, had some, some, some piece of that gravy train. The really serious money got made by real estate developers in hot and humid cities like Houston and Singapore and Bangalore, where you could suddenly now have a 30-story building with air conditioning you could sell as opposed to an open-air bungalow with veranda. And that was really interesting, right? I mean, that was not an obvious thing at the time, but obviously it was a very big deal. Okay, next question. When, um, uh, when uh, dense wave division multiplexing, uh, the, the big innovation in optical networking took place, and obviously you could push a whole lot of data through optical pipes. Happened in the mid '90s. Who actually made a lot of money? Well, there's a lot of people that made a lot of money. A lot of people that lost a lot of money. Uh, most of the telco startups and optical networking startups flamed out spectacularly in that era. I mean, tens of billions of dollars uh, 
lost. However, that created the entire Indian BPO industry and the Filipino BPO industry for outsourcing because now the cost of a long-distance call had fallen a thousandfold. And actually, even those companies didn't make the most money. The guys that made the most money were the real estate developers in Gurgaon, India, who set up massive condominium and shopping mall complexes for the roughly 1 million workers in BPO. They made fortunes. So the fun challenge we all collectively have as investors and entrepreneurs is to think, all right, domino number one falls. What's domino number three that actually might be the really big domino that isn't the entirely obvious one? but probably is a really interesting way to create value. And that, that's the fun of our jobs every day, thinking about what that might look like. Yeah, for sure. I'm really looking forward to, um, so we just uh, recently announced a uh, global call for startups tackling COVID. Um, and, you know, we, we had to de- define like which sectors we're looking for startups in. And I felt quite bored trying to think about that because it's like, okay, you know, there's medical equipment and there's this and that. And that's all the obvious stuff. So I'm really like uh, excited to see what, uh, hoping we get a thousand applications globally. And then there's a lot of people coming in with, uh, you know, propositions that we could never in a million years imagine ourselves. So, you know, it's, it's like you said, Nick, the domino effect. Uh, what's the sort of third level uh, mechanism that we missed that someone's, uh, you know, coming up with to, to you know, build you see, next, we got uh, some... next rhinoceros, which is a segue I wanted to use, yes. but Fuja, please. <laughs> no, so, I was just going to say, we, ha- we have some pretty out there applications. Uh, uh, one trying to solve COVID with obviously entertainment and art with the World Cup of hip hop. So uh, we've had, we've had, we've had people from all over the world, uh, Jamaica. Sounds like a lot of dominant. <laughs> Dr. Anthony Fauci is going to vouch for that one. It may not be peer-reviewed in the scientific literature. But yeah, at I'm least he's touching his face. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so but, 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 but yeah, I wanted to segue to, um, you know, Nick, you're a masterful uh, communicator and uh, you have this, uh, I, I don't know if this is your baby, by the way, I'm just since you were speaking about it, I'm attributing it to you. So, the whole concept of the rhinoceros. So let's forget these mythical beasts, the unicorns, mm. etc. Let's go to something practical, the rhino. So you want to just uh, lay out what the, what the rhino is for people who might not have heard about it? Well, you know, it's, it, it began as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek sort of protest against the, the cult of the unicorn uh, and the grow-at-any-cost mentality that we felt was not productive from a capital deployment perspective, uh, not even productive in terms of product creation. It was, it was not, it was so reminiscent of, you know, the, the, uh, the bubble of 2000, uh, 2001. Um, and we thought there has to be a better way to describe the kinds of humble, serious, purposeful, and, and, and frankly frugal companies that we favor, uh, like the Red Doors of the world and the Snap Asks and, and many others. Uh, so we coined the term rhinoceros uh, about a year ago basically in, there's a different model it's humbler uh these are companies that are perfectly happy to just get the job done at ground level uh they're swift they're efficient they have a horn it's weaponized <laughs> it's a serious horn and now we've come to call the rhinos because you know now that winter has come to use the game of thrones analogy uh you know we're looking for businesses that are going to be rhinos that prosper in a time of adversity and of stress but again back to the earlier conversation about how one out of every 10 large public companies actually did create shareholder value through the last recession, we're looking for those one out of 10 startups that uh, are going to really prosper and survive and 
and do great things. Uh, if anything, frankly, although they would never want to say this publicly because it's, it's an unkind thing to say, you know, are actually benefiting from, from the stress in the scenario to, to grow in ways that might not have been possible a year or two ago. Anti-fragile. Amen to that. Sounds, um, yeah, sounds fantastic. Many failed mm. unicorns out there. Cool. I think um, we're uh, approaching the end of the yes, time we, we have for today. Pooja, you want to do the honors of uh, yes, having our yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> closing ceremonies that we typically so this, uh, go with? This, this is for both of you. Uh, and, you know, if you could change, if you look back and if you could change one thing from the past, what would it be and why? Oliver, why don't we start from you? <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, that's a, it's a good question because um, it, it's, it's obviously so, um, so much impacted by um, the, the current phase uh, that, 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 we are, that we are in, right? So, so I make it personal. Um, you know, my family is in, uh, in, in Berlin, uh, Germany. So, and obviously, uh, you know, can't see them. And uh, I haven't seen them for, for, for quite a while. And they're all safe and healthy, so that's great. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would have probably snuck in that, uh, that, that last trip to see my folks uh, before, before all hell you know, broke loose uh, here uh, for us collectively. So, so, and I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's maybe a wider point around, um, you know, this is a you know, time where you, you really kind of realize matters, what really matters, you know, uh, in life and for us collectively. And while we're chasing the next, you know, snow rhino and um, the, the fourth and fifth domino that, that's going to be unleashed uh, from, from this crisis, you know, we, uh, we should um, all um, be real uh, and go back to the things that matter. And so, so family is, 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 is a sort of like common value that both Nick and I have and that, all the other co-founders have as well. So, so, um, so, so, you know, this is a time where you realize that that's, you know, what, what really matters at the end of the day. Yeah, that's so true. And that's so eloquently put. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Maybe if I think about combining that with what, 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 what this is teaching us, what we're learning, Singapore did something extraordinary after its independence. It, uh, it went on what I guess you might call a fact-finding tour around the world to learn from the best. They, they asked the Israelis how to run a military. They asked other countries how to run a monetary policy. They asked other countries how to run a health system. And, uh, you know, the one thing that I maybe wish the world had done more of in the last two or three years is learn from Singapore. Because what Singapore has done and a handful of other nations around the world is really quite special. They, they've approached the crisis from a planning perspective from a, uh, a, a citizen's well-being perspective, from a stockpiling, uh, carefully and thoughtfully perspective that really has been second to none in the world. So if I could change one thing in the world, uh, I, I would have wanted more senior leaders in business and civic society and others to, to have learned from how Singapore has gotten ready for this. And I'm certain that that will happen in the coming years, but it won't be in time to have saved so many lives in this current crisis. So, you know, really hats off to our leaders here in Singapore for what they're doing, uh, for their extraordinary dedication. They're just, they're, they're tireless. We know a number of them and they're just, they're not sleeping much these days. And sincere desire for, you know, those learnings and, and best practices to be shared more broadly. That's Could great. not agree more. And it's yeah. been one of my biggest frustrations looking at, uh, to Oliver's point, I also have family in Europe, friends in Europe, and 
to see the European nations one by one not try to learn from what countries that went through SARS did, but simply try to figure things out on their own, and then all of them making pretty much the same mistakes. It's it's uh, super frustrating. So hats off to Singapore. Um, final, final question, extra bonus question. Um, <laughs> who do you guys think we should have on our podcast? Who would, we, who would you be excited to hear from? You know, I think you should get my friend Sydney Yee on your podcast. Sydney's a star. I worked with her very closely when I was in the board of uh, A Star Accelerate for the past two years. And she has been one of the key leaders of something called the DXD, which is the, uh, the Diagnostics and Lab Testing Innovation Hub. And if there's one thing I can say with absolute certainty coming out of this, it's that every city, village, town is going to have to have better genetic testing, diagnostic testing, antibody testing. She is the smartest person I know in Southeast Asia on this topic. Uh, super happy to introduce you and bring her on the program because her insights, I think, are going to be life-saving insights. And they're just super timely and interesting. And she's a gem of a person. So I would love for you to put her on the show uh, uh, if you have the time. Sounds great, Nick. Brilliant. We'll, we'll take you up on that. <laughs> Oliver, do you have anyone that you'd like to see on the show or hear on the show? Yeah, I wonder whether, you know, you should think about this also from a more sort of like cross-functional perspective. So I don't have anyone specific in mind, but um, uh, I think that um, the one thing I, I do say, uh, and I share, um, you know, you see is frustration with, um, you know, uh, seeing what's happening back home uh, in Europe. Um, but I am um, uh, quite upbeat that there's actually a lot of introspection that's going on uh, in places like Germany uh, in terms of, um, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for us to to rethink our ways to a certain extent, right? Um, and to think about um, going back to um, to more values-driven um, societies, right? Um, so, so, so I wonder whether that um, may be an angle to also bring um, bring purpose and you know purpose-built um, uh, you know organizations and purpose-built entrepreneurship. Um, uh, more in front and center, also in, in all what we do, um, and there are some terrific um, you know leaders out there that um, that that are sort of like trying to combine you know purpose with uh, profit, right? So um, so that those don't have to be mutually exclusive. So we give it some thought uh, in terms of who, who who that could be that could be interesting for you from a podcast perspective. But I feel that that may be a good opportunity to. Um, to, to go a little bit more in that direction, also from an entrepreneurship perspective. Um, it's something that at Asian Partners we, we think we think a lot about and have since, uh, since starting the firm. Absolutely. I think we all need to rethink a lot of things uh, and, and the way we do business and the way we work together after this. So thank you so much, Nick and Oliver, uh, for joining us. Uh, we, we've got a lot of uh, nuggets of wisdom from this conversation that I'm sure will benefit our listeners. And um, I just want to say, stay safe, uh, stay healthy, stay home, stay sane. <laughs> and thanks for, In thanks that order. for talking to us. Thanks for In that order. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having both of us. Really appreciate it. You have been listening to the Antler VC cast with UC Salavera and me, Pooja Parwani. To know more about Antler, our portfolio companies and our philosophy, visit us at www.antler.co 
or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook at Antler Global. Thank you for listening.